Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, Naomi here, she's telling Ruth, she's saying to Ruth, okay, now, you've done your part. You've done your part in this matter. You went to there and you found Boaz and so forth. And now you need to be casting, casting your care on God. And now it's time for you to recognize that God is going to do his part in caring for you, Ruth. So when Naomi tells Ruth, sit still, it was Naomi saying to Ruth, Ruth, just leave God alone right now in his work of caring for you. Leave him alone. I mean, after we've cast our care on God, it's time for us to sit still and leave God alone to do his work of caring for us. Of course, we pray, we pray, but we don't interject ourselves. Well, maybe I ought to go out and do this and do that. No, he said, just sit still. This verse in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, is really important to see in its context in its context, because it's got a verse before it and it's got a verse at the end of it. So on the other side, sandwiched. Okay, so these two verses that sandwiches are very, very important. It goes like this. First Peter 5, 6, the verse before. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So this verse, in the verse before it, before the casting, we are told, humble yourselves. This shows we only cast our care upon God when after we have humbled ourselves. And if we're proud, and if we're thinking that we're great, then we're not gonna cast our care on God. In pride, it's gonna lead us to believe that I can take care of myself. See, so the verse we read first, when it says humble ourselves, then says now you're prepared to cast your care on God. But the verse also explains after it that if you don't do that, I got news for you. There is a devil as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. What does that show us? That shows us that if we hold on to pride and we don't cast our care on God, then we set ourselves up to be attacked by the devil. The description there of the devil walking about seeking whom he may devour. It reminds me of three finch feeders. They have three finch feeders in the front, front yard there, and they're right below a big tall tree, 70-foot pine tree. And these golden-breast finches, you know, I like to sit there and watch them. They're very interesting. Because what's so interesting about them is that the way they eat, they don't sit down and relax and eat. They never do that. They cling to it, and they'll take some niger seed, and then they're looking all around and up and down and everywhere, and, and then they get some more, and I'm thinking, boy, you're gonna get indigestion. Why don't you relax a little bit? They don't relax, you know? And so they're just constantly ready on guard at a moment's notice just to fly off. And I finally learned the reason why. is because I learned that at the top of the pine tree is a nest of red-tailed hawks. 
and they're watching those finches. And at any moment, oh, I saw it one time when it happened. Such drama, I thought to myself, oh, I can't believe my eyes. I mean, they come down like Darth Vader. They just come down from the pine tree there with their wings flapping and disturbing all the air currents and creating all kinds of confusion. And the finch doesn't know what to do. And he grabs a finch and he takes it up to the nest and that's lunch. Now, we are just like the finches. And what they're doing when they're eating, they're being sober, they're being vigilant, because we have to be that way, because the devil is just like the red-tailed hawks watching us, seeking whom he may devour. And if we don't humble ourselves and cast our care on God, we set ourselves up to be attacked by the devil. Now, verse 18 starts out by saying, then said she, then said she. That's important words, then said she, because it focuses back on Naomi. It reminds us who's telling who. This is Naomi talking to Ruth. This is Naomi, the elder. This is Naomi, the older woman, talking to the younger woman, Ruth. And Ruth was wise. She was smart to listen to Naomi as her elder. Why? Because Naomi brought a lot of wisdom to the table. And Ruth expected that that Ruth was good to listen to it because she was just reaping in all of Naomi's life experiences. You know, when people are younger and then they're trying to build a family or build a career or build a business, they don't have time to sit down and, and pass on wisdom. They don't have much to them anyway. But when they get old, then they both have both the experience and the time to pass on what they've learned. You know, it reminds me of over 20 years ago when we were given the responsibility to manufacture first response pregnancy tests. And that was a very interesting time for the company because we never made anything like that. We had no technology. None of us ever made anything like that. We had no people. We didn't have a place to make it. We had no place. So we had no technology. We had no people. We had no place. Apart from that, we were perfect. And so, but, and we had a problem, we had a problem because we were always hiring, you know, young people, 20 year olds out of, out of school and we found they're just not stable and they don't stay with us because they think they're Einstein and they're gonna go on and get the Nobel Prize someplace and so it didn't matter what kind of, so we needed a stable workforce because this new operation of manufacturing first response, we needed people who was like, we'd learn how to make it and we had people should stay, otherwise we're gonna be in a lot of trouble. So Diana Huerta, who was in charge of the project and she knew that she had to build a stable workforce that wouldn't quit. It wasn't gonna go try to go move on in their quest to move up the corporate ladder. So she did something absolutely brilliant. We were like, wow. She went to retirement homes and began to hire 80 year olds. And you know, they didn't, some of them didn't drive. We had to go sit up, they had to go pick them up, you know. But it was great. They didn't quit. They just died. That was another problem. <laughs> but but they were so happy to have a job. And they were so happy to have purpose again in life. And even though the job would start at 8 a.m., and many of them would come to work at 6. At 6 a.m., they just wanted to sit in the break room, drink the coffee, eat the donuts, and just enjoy their new position. I'm a valued member of the workforce again. And they never quit. And they had all that wisdom and that years of experience. And then we went ahead and we hired also the 20 years olds to work alongside them. And we saw something wonderful happen, and that was the 80-year-olds who were working on along the side of the 20-year-olds, they began to treat the 20-year-olds like they were their sons and daughters. Could have almost been their grandsons and daughters. But anyway, they began to pass on wisdom. And then we saw the 20-year-olds begin to confide in them. It was great. And what the older ones would know, and they passed on to the younger ones, were the situations of life. 
that they would say to them, listen, this is when you should stop worrying over a situation. And this is when you should stop be depressed over a situation. And this is when you shouldn't be overly eager over a situation. And this is when you should not lag behind in a situation. And this is when you should not take too much in your hands in a situation. It was beautiful. And Naomi was passing on to Ruth this valuable advice when she said to Ruth, sit still. So when Naomi told Ruth, sit still, Naomi was saying to Ruth, look, you need to realize that, Ruth, you're only in the middle of this thing. See, because on the one hand, Boaz is working on it, but on the other hand, God is working on it too. You're just in the middle. And bad anxieties for us will lose their grip on us when we see that we're just like Ruth, where we're just in the middle of things with a situation on one hand and God working on the other hand, and we're just in the middle. And when Naomi told Ruth to sit still, she was saying to Ruth, Ruth, life has a plan. Ruth, life has a purpose And God's purpose is to shape us. Naomi's saying to Ruth, to shape us, which is exactly what is said in Isaiah 64, 8. Isaiah 64, 8 says, but now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. See, to sit still is to realize that we are wet clay, on a wheel that God is using to form us and to shape us by these situations in life. You know, I remember when I first went to Finland. Finland is a very strange place, but anyways, it's up there. And there's a lot of troubles in Finland. You know, it has one of the highest suicides rates, but you know, it's very cold, very, very cold up there. And it's next to Russia, and Russia is always causing problems for Finland, invading and fighting, and oh, it's just terrible. And so Sibelius, he wanted to write something to his people, to his people of Finland, that would calm them, that would give them assurance. And so he wrote this, which become a national anthem, but it's, and he writes these words, and you can just picture Sibelius now writing to his Finnish people when he's saying to them, my people, be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. This is what Naomi is saying here in verse 18. Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. It looks so uncertain when you say something like, how the matter will fall. You say, fall? Yeah, that's how it looks. It looks as uncertain as something just falling. But what looks to us as uncertain as falling is really as certain as God already determining exactly how this will fall. And it will fall exactly where God has decided it will fall. Now, In verse 18, when Naomi speaks to Ruth, we can just picture this motherly position of Naomi pulling Ruth in close to her. It's like, come here, my daughter. Pulls her in close, gets right up to her, eye to eye, and she smiles. She says, Ruth, my daughter, the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. And as Naomi does this, we can see Naomi just looking right into the eyes of Ruth. And as she does this, we can just see, Ruth, I'm conveying a message to you. It's not written here, but I'm conveying a message to you. And the message is this, Ruth, I know this man. Ruth, I know this man. Ruth, I know Boaz. And from what I know about Boaz, I can tell you that he will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. 
You're gonna know the outcome this day. Why? Because I know Boaz. That's the message. That's the message. It's quite a statement when Naomi is saying to Ruth that she knew Boaz and she could speak this way. As a matter of fact, Naomi was really able to comfort Ruth and take away her anxiety because Naomi knew Boaz. I mean, Ruth could have said to Naomi, really, Naomi? Really? Do you really know Boaz that well that you can tell me that he will finish this matter today? Do you really know Boaz that well, Naomi? She could ask that. And this is where Naomi could step right back, look her in the eyes, and say, yes, Ruth, I really do know Boaz. And I'm telling you that because I know him so well, I know that he will finish the matter this day. So the more that Naomi did know Boaz, the more Naomi was able to comfort Ruth. And Ruth was helped because of Naomi's knowledge of Boaz. And Ruth received help from Naomi because Naomi made the decision to tell Ruth what she knew about Boaz. So Ruth's anxiety was taken away because Naomi knew Boaz, and Naomi decided to tell Ruth what she knew about Boaz, that he was a man of decisive action. And all of this is brought to us in verse 18, when Naomi says, with absolute certainty of her knowledge, for the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. And this is a picture of Naomi knowing Boaz and telling Ruth about Boaz that is so teaching to us. Why? Because this picture gets home to us when we see ourselves as Naomi and we see Boaz as the Lord Jesus Christ and we see Ruth as those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider Naomi as representing us. Just as Naomi knew Boaz, so we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who know the Lord Jesus Christ have a strength. The knowledge is a strength. That's the real, one real strength, and one way we become stronger and stronger and strength is increased is described for us in Daniel 11.32. Daniel 11.32. Daniel 11.32 says, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that are strong are those that do know their God. That's the true source of their strength. That's their true strength. Those that are strong have the knowledge of God. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more they know him, the stronger they are. Paul, when you consider Paul, before he was Saul, then he became Paul, so we're just gonna call him Paul. Paul was in a state of the greatest weakness when he confessed that he didn't know God. And it was at his conversion in Acts 9.3, Acts 9.3. It says, talking about Paul, Saul, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying for unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. When Paul's on that road to Damascus and this great light focuses in right down on him, he hears this voice from heaven asking him why he was persecuting God, and Paul says, who art thou, Lord? Can you imagine that scene? I mean, can you imagine that? This man, 
This man, he's the great Jewish scholar. He was schooled in the deep knowledge of Judaism at the feet of the great Rabbi Gamaliel, and he's carrying out the will of the great synagogue to stop these Christians. He's a person who could give you a deep instruction in religious thought. He could give you a deep instruction on the Bible. And this is the person who cries out, who is God? Who art thou, Lord? That was a confession of utter ignorance and complete weakness. And at that point, Saul was saying, I know everything about religion, but I know nothing about God. At that point, Saul was saying, I know everything about the Bible, but I know nothing about God. At that point, Saul was saying, I have great prestige, I have reputation, I have honor among men, but I don't have eternal life. And that was all because Saul could not answer this question, who is God? He couldn't, he didn't know who is God. And the simple truth that changed everything for Saul and gave him strength and then began to give him more and more strength as he learned more and more about Jesus, the simple truth, the simple truth, when Saul asked God who God was, God said in Acts 9, 5, I am Jesus. The truth is, Jesus is God. That's the truth. And when Paul learned that, he became strong. And as he learned more and more and more about Jesus, like we've been singing, there's not a one like the lowly Jesus. And then there were details about the Lord Jesus. That's from the Bible. That's more and more about Jesus. In fact, there's a song, more and more about Jesus. And then Paul learned more and more about Jesus. He learned more and more about God. And Paul got stronger and stronger and stronger. But there's one block stands in the way of every person to know God. And this block will effectively block every person who wants to know about God, who wants to know God. He cannot unless this block is removed. And that block is described for us in Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, and they shall teach no more, every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. Why? for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What that's saying is that they shall all know the Lord when he forgives their iniquity and remembers their sin no more. That's the block. The iniquity and the sin is the block. And until that iniquity and that sin is forgiven by God, there's no knowing God. But when any person wants to know God and their sin has not been forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it just results in a futile attempt that spirals down to religion without the knowledge of God. And it's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. As he said in John 17, 3, John 17, 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 1 John 5, 20, 1 John 5, 20. We know him, that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So when Daniel makes that statement, like we've been considering in Daniel 11.32, Daniel 11.32, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that know the Lord Jesus Christ shall be strong and do exploits. You know a great picture of this? Great picture of this? We just had Hanukkah. It's really in the history of Hanukkah. About 167 years, more or less before the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, there was a Jewish priest. His name was Mattathias. And he had five sons. One of them was Judas. We know him as Judas Maccabee, but it wasn't Mr. Maccabee. His name wasn't that at that time. 
Okay, Alexander the Great had died, very young age. He died very young, he had no sons. So it was a big crisis. What are we gonna do with this kingdom? And they decided to divide it up between three generals. And the one that got or ruled over Palestine, Israel, was named Antiochus. And Antiochus, he terrorized the Jewish people. He ordered his soldiers to offer a pig on the altar at the temple. And the five sons all agreed among themselves to come to the ceremony, to come to the temple for the offering of the pig, and just before the pig was to be offered, that there would be a signal, there would be a sign, and they would all take their daggers and their swords that they had hid under their robes, and they'd kill all the soldiers, which they did. And Judas Maccabee, he wasn't the firstborn, he was the thirdborn, but he was the leader. He was the leader, so they all looked to him, and at the right time, he would give the signal. And the signal was a very interesting phrase, a very interesting phrase, Mi kaboka be'alim Yahweh. So, mi kaboka be'alim Yahweh. That means who, me, who, oka, among us, be'alim, among the gods, among the gods, is like God, Yehovah, is like God. And the first letters of that are M, me, K, kaboka, E, be'alim, Yehovah, Y. So, M, K, B, Y. And that's how we get the name Maccabee, Maccabee. So when the pig was being offered, Judas said, Mikaboka Be'alim Adonai, and who is among the gods who is like our God? And they all drew out their swords and they did exploits. They were strong, they did exploits, they killed the soldiers, and then they only found a single day's worth oil, but it lasted eight days, and so we have Hanukkah. But the Maccabees knew their God and were strong and they did exploits. Now, our strength comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting we all get daggers and swords and kill people, but that's our strength. And just as it was Naomi's knowledge of Boaz, and when she told Ruth about Boaz, that's when Ruth was helped. So those around us who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they need us to tell them about the one we know. Why? Because it's their lack of knowledge that is destroying them, the ultimate destruction being hell which is what God said in Hosea 4.6, Hosea 4.6. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as God, that's understanding, as King Solomon said in Proverbs 9.10, Proverbs 9.10, the knowledge of the holy is understanding, or the knowledge of the holy one is understanding. So, Naomi tells Ruth, what she knows about Boaz. And in so doing, Naomi is telling Ruth that her anxiety will be remedied as she takes her gaze off of herself and she focuses her gaze on Boaz. Same is true with us. Same is true with us. That's good advice for us. When we feel anxious, as Ruth did, we need to take our gaze off of ourselves and focus our gaze on our Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what was it? about Boaz that Naomi was directing Ruth to focus on about Boaz. Well, when Naomi told Ruth, the man will not be in rest until he had finished the thing this day, she's really telling Ruth that Boaz has a very important trait in his character. And when she says, look, Boaz is gonna finish the thing this day, she's telling Ruth, I wanna tell you something about Boaz. He's not a man of procrastination. He does, Boaz does not procrastinate. Boaz is not laid back. Boaz is not a hesitator. Boaz is not a life as a beach person. That's not Boaz. It doesn't mean that Boaz was a man of of sudden impulse, but Boaz was the type of man that immediately moved when he knew that it was the right thing to do. 
He was a man of action, and he didn't let other things get in the way of what he knew was his priority. The procrastinator is a big, huge problem. And the Lord Jesus Christ described this so well when he said, there is a ground, there is a third type of ground. It's infested with thorns. And when the word of God falls on this ground, it's choked. That's a procrastinator. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.